Chapter 7 of A Moon Maid by Edgar Rice Burroughs. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Thomas Copeland. Chapter 6 A Fight and a Chance. After occupying the new village, Orthus and I were separated, he being assigned a hut close to Govago, while I was placed in another section of the village. If I could have been said to have been on good terms with any of the terrible creatures of the tribe, it was with the woman who had taught me the language of the Vagas, and it was from her that I learned why Orthus was treated with such marked distinction by Govago, whom, it seemed, he had promised to lead to the land of our origin, where he had assured the savage chieftain he would find flesh in abundance. Naila was confined in still another part of the village, and I only saw her occasionally, for it was evident that Gavago wished to keep the prisoners separated. Upon one occasion, when I met her at the shore of the lake, I asked her why it was that they had not slain and eaten her, and she told me that when Gavago had discovered her identity, and that her father was a Jemadar, a ruler of a great city, he had sent messengers with an offer to return Naila for a ransom of one hundred young women of the city of Lathe. Do you think your father will send the ransom? I asked. I do not know, she replied. I do not see how they are going to get a message to him, for ordinarily my race kills the Vagas on sight. They may succeed, however, but even so, it is possible that my father will not send the ransom. I would not wish him to. The daughters of my father's people are as dear to them as am I to him. It would be wrong to give a hundred of the daughters of Lathe in return for one, even though she be the daughter of the Jemadar. We had drunk, and were returning toward our huts, when, wishing to prolong our conversation, and to be with this pleasant companion while I might, I suggested that we walk farther into the woods and gather fruit. Naila signified her willingness, and together we strolled out of the village into the denser woods at its rear, where we found a particularly delicious fruit growing in abundance. I gathered some and offered it to her, but she refused, thanking me, saying that she had but just eaten. Do they bring the fruit to you, I asked, or do you have to come and gather it yourself? What fruit I get, I gather, she replied, but they bring me flesh. It is of that which I have just eaten, and so I do not care for fruit now. Flesh? I exclaimed. What kind of flesh? The flesh of the Vagas, of course, she replied. What other flesh might a Yuga eat? I fear that I ill-concealed my surprise and disgust at the thought that the beautiful Naila ate of the flesh of the Vagas. You, too, eat of the flesh of these creatures? I demanded. Why not? she asked. You eat flesh, do you not, in your own country? You have told me that you raise beasts solely for their flesh. Yes, I replied, that is true, but we eat only the flesh of lower orders. We do not eat the flesh of humans. You mean that you do not eat the flesh of your own species, she said. Yes, I replied, that is what I mean. Neither do I, she said. The Vagas are not of the same species as the Yuga. They are a lower order, just as are the creatures whose flesh you eat in your own country. You have told me of beef and of mutton and of pork, which you have described as creatures that run about on four legs like the Vagas. What is the difference, then, between the eating of the flesh of pork and beef or mutton? 
and the eating above us, who are no creatures also. But they have human faces, I cried, and a spoken language. You had better learn to eat them, she said, otherwise you will eat no flesh in Vanna. The more I thought about it, the more reason I saw in her point of view. She was right. She was no more transgressing any natural law in eating the flesh of the Vagas than do we, eating the flesh of cattle. To her, the Vagas were less than cattle. They were dangerous and hated enemies. The more I analyzed the thing, the more it seemed to me that we humans of the earth were more surely transgressing a natural law by devouring our domestic animals, many of which we learned to love, than were the Yuga of Vana in devouring the flesh of their four-footed foes, the Vagas. Upon our earthly farms we raise calves and sheep and little pigs, and oftentimes we become greatly attached to individuals, and they to us. We gain their confidence, and they have implicit trust in us, and yet, when they are of the right age, we slay and devour them. Presently it did not seem either wrong or unnatural that Naila should eat the flesh of the Vagas, but as for myself, I could never do it, nor ever did. We had left the forest, and were returning to the village to our huts, when near the large hut occupied by Gavago, we came suddenly upon Orthus. At the sight of us, together, he scowled. If I were you, he said to me, I would not associate with her too much. It may arouse the displeasure of Gavago. It was the first time that Orthus had spoken to me since we had occupied this village. I did not like his tone or his manner. You will please to mind your own business, Orthus, I said to him, and continued on with Naila. I saw the man's eyes narrow malignantly, and then he turned and entered the hut of Gavago, the chief of the Novans. Every time I went to the river I had to pass in the vicinity of Naila's hut. It was a little out of my way, but I always made the slight detour in the hope of meeting her, though I had never entered her hut nor called for her since she had never invited me, and realizing her position I did not wish to intrude. I was, of course, ignorant of the social customs of her people, and feared offending her accidentally. It chanced that the next time that I walked down to the lake shore, following our stroll in the woods, I made my usual detour that I might pass by the hut of Naila. As I came near, I heard voices, one of which I recognized as that of Naila, and the other a man's voice. The girl's tones were angry and imperious. Leave my presence, creature, were the first words that I could distinguish, and then the man's voice. Come, he said ingratiatingly, let us be friends. Come to my hut, and you will be safe, for Gavago is my friend. The voice was that of Orthus. Go, she ordered him again. I would as soon lie with Gavago as with you. Know then, cried Orthus angrily, that you will go whether you wish it or not, for Gavago has given you to me. Come! And then he must have seized her, for I heard her cry out, How dare you lay hands upon me? Naila, princess of Laith! I was close beside the entrance to the hut now, and I did not wait to hear any more, but thrusting the hanging aside, entered. There they were, in the center of the single room, Orthus struggling to drag the girl toward the opening while she resisted and struck at him. Orthus' back was toward me, and he did not know that there was another in the hut, until I had stepped up behind him 
and grasping him roughly by the shoulder, had jerked him from the girl and swung him about, facing me. "'You cad,' I said. "'Get out of here before I kick you out. "'And don't ever let me hear of you molesting this girl again.' His eyes narrowed, and he looked at me with an ugly light in them. "'Since boyhood you have cheated me out of all that I wished. "'You ruined my life on earth, but now conditions are reversed.' The tables are turned. Believe me, then, when I tell you that if you interfere with me, you sign your own death warrant. It is only by my favour that you live at all. If I gave the word, Gabago would destroy you at once. Go then to your hut and stop your meddling in the affairs of others, a habit that you developed in a most flagrant degree on earth, but which will avail you nothing here within the moon. The woman is mine. Gavago has given her to me. Even if her father should fail to send the ransom, her life shall be spared as long as I desire her. Your interference, then, can only result in your death, and do her no good, for provided you are successful in keeping me from her, you would be but condemning her to death in the event that her father does not send the ransom. And Gavago has told me that there is little likelihood of that since it is scarcely possible that his messengers would be able to deliver Gavago's demands to Sagroth. You have heard him, I said, turning to the girl. What are your wishes in the matter? Perhaps he speaks the truth. I have no doubt but that he speaks the truth, she replied. But know, strangers, that the honor of a princess of lathe is dearer than her life. Very well, Orthus, I said to the man. You have heard her. Now get out. He was almost white with anger and for a moment I thought that he was going to attack me. But he was ever a coward, and contenting himself with giving me a venomous look, he walked from the hut without another word. I turned to Naila after the hanging had dropped behind Orthus. It is too bad, I said, that with all your suffering at the hands of the Vagas, you should also be annoyed by one who is practically of your own species. Your kindness more than compensates, she replied graciously. You are a brave man, and I am afraid that you are going to suffer for your protection of me. This man is powerful. He has made wonderful promises to Gavago. He is going to teach him how to use the strange weapons that you brought from your own world. The woman who brings me my meat told me all of this, and that the tribe is much excited by the promises that your friend has made to Gavago. He will teach them to make the weapons, such as you slew their warriors with, so that they will be invincible and may go abroad in Vana, slaying all who oppose them, and even raiding the cities of the Yuga. He has told them that he will lead them to the strange thing which brought you from your world to Vana, and that there they will find other weapons like those that you carry, and having the noise which they make, and the things with which they kill. All these he says they may have, and that later he will build other things, such as brought you from your world to Vana, and he will take Gavago and all the Novans to what you call Earth. If there is any man in the universe who might do it, it is he, I reply. But there is little likelihood that he can do it. He is merely deceiving Gavago in the hope of prolonging his own life, against the possibility that an opportunity to escape will develop, in which event he will return to our ship and our friends. He is a bad man, though, Naila and you must be careful of him. There is a vacant hut near yours, 
and I will come and live in it. There is no use in asking Gavago, for he is friendly with Orthus, and he will not permit me to make the change. If you ever need me, call Julian as loud as you can, and I will come. You are very good, she said. You are like the better men of Lathe, the high nobles of the court of the Gemidar Sagroth, my father. They too are honourable men, to whom a woman may look for protection. But there are no others in all Vana since the Kalkars arose thousands of Kelds ago and destroyed the power of the nobles and the Jemadars, and all the civilization that was Vana's. Only in Lathe have we preserved a semblance of the old order. I wish I might take you to Lathe, for there you would be safe and happy. You are a brave man. It is strange that you are not married. I was on the point of making some reply when the hangings at the doorway parted, and a Novan warrior entered. Behind him were three others. They were walking erect with drawn spears. Here he is, said the leader, and then addressing me, come. Why? I asked, what do you want of me? Is it for you to question, he demanded, when Gavago commands? He has sent for me, I asked. Come, repeated the leader, and an instant later they had hooked their spears about my arms and neck, and none too gently they dragged me from the hut. I had something of a presentiment that this was to be the end. At the doorway I half turned to glance back at the girl. She was standing wide-eyed and tense, watching them drag me away. Goodbye, Julian, she said. We shall never meet again, for there is none to carry our souls to a new incarnation. We are not dead yet, I called back, and remember, if you need me, call me. And then the hanging dropped behind us, and she was shut off from my vision. They did not take me to my own hut, but to another, not far distant from Naila's, and there they bound my hands and feet with strips of leather, and threw me upon the ground. Afterwards they left me, dropping the hanging before the entrance. I did not think that they would eat me, for Orthus had joined with me in explaining to Gavago and the others that our flesh was poisonous, and though they may have questioned the veracity of our statements, nevertheless I was quite sure that they would not risk the chance of our having told the truth. The Vagas obtain their leather by curing the hides of their dead, the better portions they use for their trappings and harness. The other portions they cut into thin strips, which they use in lieu of rope. Most of this is very strong, but some of it is not, especially that which is improperly cured. The warriors who had been sent to seize me had scarcely left the hut before I commenced working with my bonds in an attempt to loosen or break them. I exerted all my strength in the effort, until I became sure that those which held my hands were stretching. The effort, however, was very tiring, and I had to stop often and rest. I do not know how long I worked at them, but it must have been a very long time before I became convinced that however much they gave, they were not going to break. Just what I intended to do with my freedom I do not know, since there was little or no chance that I might escape from the village. Perpetual daylight has its disadvantages, and this was one of them. That there was no concealing nocturnal darkness during which I might sneak away from the village unseen. As I lay resting after my exertions, I suddenly became aware of a strange moaning sound from without, and then the hut shook, and I realized that another storm had come. Soon after, I heard the beat of raindrops on the roof, 
and then a staggering, deafening peal of lunar thunder. As the storm waxed in violence, I could imagine the terror of the Novans, nor, even in my plight, could I resist the desire to smile at their discomfiture. I knew that they must all be hiding in their huts, and again I renewed my efforts to break the bonds at my wrists, but all to no avail. And then, suddenly, above the moaning of the wind and the beating of the rain, there came distinctly to my ears, in a clear, full voice, a single word, Julian! Naila, I thought, she needs me. What are they doing to her? There flashed quickly before my mental vision a dozen scenes, in each of which I saw the divine figure of the moon-maid, the victim of some fiendish brutality. Now she was being devoured by Gabago. Now some of the females were tearing her to pieces. And again, the warriors were piercing that beautiful skin with their cruel spears. Or it was Orthus come to claim Gabago's gift. It was this last thought, I think, which turned me almost mad, giving to my muscles the strength of a dozen men. I have always been accounted a powerful man, but in the instant that that sweet voice came across the storm to find me, and my imagination pictured her in the clutches of Orthus, something within moved me to Herculean efforts, far transcending aught that I had previously achieved. As though they had been caught in twine now, the leather bonds at my wrists snapped asunder, and an instant later those at my ankles were torn away, and I was upon my feet. I sprang to the door and into the open, where I found myself in a maelstrom of wind and rain. In two bounds I had cleared the space between the hut in which I had been confined and that occupied by Naila, had torn the hanging aside, and had sprung into the interior. And there I beheld the materialization of my last vision. There was Orthus, one arm about the slender body of the girl, pinning her arms close to her side, while his other hand was at her throat, choking her and pressing her slowly backward across his knees toward the ground. He was facing the door this time and saw me enter, and as he realized who I was, he hurled the girl roughly from him and rose to meet me. For once in his life he seemed to know no fear, and I think that what with his passion for the girl and the hatred he felt for me, and the rage that my interference must have engendered, he was momentarily insane for he suddenly leaped upon me like a madman, and for an instant I came near going down beneath his blows, but only for an instant, and then I caught him heavily upon the chin with my left fist, and again full in the face with my right, and though he was a splendid boxer he was helpless in my hands. Neither of us had a weapon, or one of us certainly would have been killed in short order. As it was, I tried to kill him with my bare fists, and at last— when he had fallen for the dozenth time, and I had picked him up and held him upon his feet and struck him repeatedly again and again, he no longer moved. I was sure that he was dead, and it was with a feeling of relief and of satisfaction in a duty well performed that I looked down upon his lifeless body. Then I turned to Naila. Come, I said, there has been given to us this chance for escape. Never again may such a fortuitous combination of circumstances arise. The Vagas will be hiding in their huts, crouching in terror of the storm. I do not know whither we may fly, but wherever it be, we can be in no greater danger than we are here. 
she shuddered a little at the thought of going out into the terrors of the storm though not so fearful of it as the ignorant vagas she still feared the wrath of the elements as do all the inhabitants of vana but she did not hesitate and as i stretched out a hand she placed one of hers within it and together we stepped out into the swirling rain and wind end of chapter seven recording by thomas copeland